this morning in your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16. And we're going to be focusing our attention on the greetings that Paul has here for the saints in the church in Rome in verses 3 through 16. As Paul closes his letter, he sends these greetings to these Christians who were in the church in Rome. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who is, has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we can see in this passage of Scripture the heart of your servant Paul, his concern for the work of the gospel ministry, his love and concern for the Christians in Rome, and his desire to be an encouragement to them in their, their ongoing partnership in the gospel ministry. Father, I pray that as we read these personal greetings from Paul, that uh, we would see some truths that are communicated to us here, some truths that are near to your heart and the heart of the gospel. Lord, bless this time. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Sometimes when we come to a passage like this with just a list of names, uh, we kind of speed over it quickly, don't really pay that much attention to it. Uh, one reason why we might speed over it quickly is because there's a lot of hard names to pronounce in here, right? So we, maybe we read across it and we say, greet that guy who starts with the letter E, <laughs> Greet that person who starts with the letter A. Uh, some of these are hard names to pronounce. They're all Greek. Most of them are Greek or Latin names. Uh, and sometimes we just pass over them quickly uh, because we think there's not really a whole lot here that applies to us. And on the one hand, I want it to be very clear that these are personal greetings from one person to other people. And so in one sense... This part of Romans 
has served and fulfilled one aspect of its purpose. So when the church in Rome received this letter, it was most likely read aloud. Uh, most, you know, the average person in uh, the early church did not have their own copy of the scriptures. And especially when a letter like this would have first been received by the church, uh, no one had a copy of it. They just had the one. And so they would have read it out loud in public reading of scripture. And then from then on, they would have made copies and distributed them to different house congregations so it could be read there. But this is being read aloud. And so Paul, in, in saying this, wants to draw attention to certain people that he knows who are in Rome who have been an encouragement, who have been a blessing either to him personally in ministry or he knows by their reputation by what has preceded them, that they have been very faithful and hardworking in ministry. And, and he wants to greet them. He wants to say hello to them. So there's, this is very personal on one hand. Uh, but also I think that there's an aspect of this passage where its purpose has not yet been fully fulfilled, and then it, on, it has an ongoing application and purpose for us today as we read it, because it's been included in Scripture, Right. And so being included in Scripture, it has a purpose to fulfill in terms of our growth in godliness, our instruction in the things of the Lord. And so I think there are some things that we can draw from this passage. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to walk systematically through each name and you know try to give a definition of the name and what it might signify. I really don't think that's the intended purpose behind this. I think these are just real people with real names and... Uh, Generally speaking, the meaning of their names probably doesn't have any certain significance uh, in terms of the meaning of the passage. But I think some of the things that Paul emphasizes when he greets these people is where the, the special message of the passage or the spiritual message of the passage comes from. And so I, I just want to share kind of maybe more of a thematic uh, outline from this list of names here in Romans 16. And the first point that I'd like to make that I think that comes across to us from this passage is that gospel ministry is done by people for the sake of people. Gospel ministry is done by people for the sake of people. So as I mentioned a moment ago, these are real people. These are people that, that have either labored with Paul or that Paul knows of, that, he, that have labored in the gospel and what I want to communicate through this point is that God, in his wisdom, has chosen to use people as his primary instrument of grace in the lives of other people. And isn't that amazing when you think about that? That, that of all the ways that God could accomplish his purposes, of all the ways that God could, could do what he wants to do. I mean, we've seen in Scripture where God can just speak a word, and it's done, right? Uh, we, Genesis 1, God says, let there be light, and there's light. It happens. God speaks it, and it's done. As you read through the Bible, though, don't you notice that God, generally speaking, doesn't use that method of accomplishing things? Generally speaking, the way that God works is he works through people to accomplish his purposes. And that's an that's a incredibly humbling thing when you think about it. That the infinite God, the righteous, holy God, the creator of the universe, 
who has all of this infinite power and can do whatever he decides to do, has said, I'm going to use these finite, fallen, imperfect, uh, mistake-prone people to accomplish my purposes. And that's a humbling thing, but it's also something that should uh, cause gratitude to arise in our hearts. That, that God has included us in his purposes and in, in, his, in what he seeks to accomplish in this world. And so God has chosen to use people as his instruments of grace. And in this age, the primary way that God does that is through the church. It's through the church. And so just a reminder here, and we know this, we've heard this before, but the church is not the building, right? The church is not the four walls. It's not this building that we're meeting in. The church is an assembly. The church is a congregation. The church is a gathering of people. And God has, in his infinite wisdom, chosen to redeem a people for himself, to draw them together in fellowship in different places and localities around the world. And in those local assemblies, congregations of believers scattered across the world, that's how he has chosen to accomplish his mission for this age. And what is the mission? To go out and to make disciples everywhere of every nation. So he's chosen people to do the ministry, to do the mission. And what is the goal of the mission? People, right? So, so people have been chosen by God as his instruments, and their mission is to go out and to reach people. So that's what I mean by gospel ministry is done by people for the sake of people. Now, ultimately, our highest motivation for anything that we do is the glory of God. So whatever we do, whether you eat or drink, whether you're going out witnessing, preaching the gospel, the glory of God, honoring God is our ultimate goal, our ultimate motivation. But the mission that God has called us to is specifically focused on people. To take this message, a message of the gospel, that the loving, gracious God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel that said that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. God has entrusted that message to us, and we take that message to the lives of people. And God, through his spirit, is pleased to use that word and his Holy Spirit to draw people to himself and to, to make that work that we do effectual. But he uses us. He uses us and he uses people. And the, he uses us to reach people. And the mission that he's given to us is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go into all the world and make disciples of every creature, every nation. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as I, as I mention that verse and as I mention that mission to make disciples, I just want to draw our focus to the fact that it's not just make converts. It's make disciples. You say, what's the difference? Well, someone who seeks to make converts seeks to get someone to make a response of faith. 
or a, a prayer or a confession of faith. And, and what they're concerned about is they're concerned about that moment and that event in their life that they see as God's work. But Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. Go, go and make uh, people who make an initial response and pray a prayer to the gospel. God said, go and make disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are learners. Disciples are followers. Disciples are those who uh, stick with it and learn and grow and mature in the faith. And so he's called us to make disciples, not just to go and make converts. Gospel ministry is done by people for the sake of people. The second thing that I see in this passage is that the church of Jesus Christ is composed of a diverse group of people. The church of Jesus Christ is composed of a diverse group of people. And I just want to draw our attention to some of the names that are in here. You have a wide variety of kinds of people mentioned in this passage. Uh, You have women and men. I just want to make a comment there that, that in the ancient world, to, to give women the prominence that Paul does in Romans chapter 16 was unusual. But there are several ladies that are mentioned in this passage, and he specifically greets them and notes their faithfulness to the mission and the way that they have worked hard for the gospel and for the church of Jesus Christ. And that's notable. We've already seen last week Phoebe, who... Paul uh, mentions as a faithful sister and a servant to the church and one who probably who was of means was a faithful supporter of missions and, and the church. And most likely she was the one who carried this letter from Paul to the city of Rome. So he, he greets or he, he commends Phoebe to them. But then even as he greets people who are in Rome, we see several ladies who are mentioned here. We see Priscilla in verse 3, who had personally worked with Paul in Corinth and in Ephesus. And interestingly enough, Priscilla and Aquila may have been originally from Rome, and apparently by this time that Paul is writing back to the Romans, Priscilla and Aquila have already returned to Rome because he's greeting them in Rome. And that may help to explain how there is such a mature church that is founded here in the city of Rome, even though Paul himself had not yet been there. Maybe Priscilla and Aquila were very instrumental in accomplishing that. But she was very uh, faithful in, and a faithful partner in the ministry with Paul. We see in verse 6, a woman named Mary, who is commended for her hard work. In verse number 7, we see a, a lady named Junia, probably there along with her husband, Andronicus, and they are called Jews who have been in prison with Paul. So they shared the suffering of the gospel ministry that Paul went through. He also says that they are outstanding among the apostles. And probably what he means there is the word apostle in a more generic sense, not in the sense of like the 12, but more in a generic sense like a sent missionary who goes and takes the gospel message You have a few ladies mentioned in verse 12, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Many people think they were twin sisters. And then you have uh, also there in verse number 12, another woman named Persis, 
which based on the name probably means that she was originally from Persia. And so you have women who are mentioned here. You also have a wide diversity in terms of ethnicity. You have both Jews who are mentioned here as well as Gentiles because of the Roman and and the Greek names. Probably the vast majority of these people were Gentiles. But some of them Paul specifically calls who are Jews. You have some who, who are here who are listed as maybe being more wealthy, more in what we might call the, the nobility class. Uh, we see someone like Phoebe, who is obviously someone who is of means. Um, we see others here who held positions of influence and leadership. Um, but then we also see slaves and people who are poor. Let me mention, let me just draw out a couple for you. In verse number 11, we see there greet those in the household of Narcissus. In verse number 10, it says, greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. And it's interesting the way that those are phrased, because Paul does not specifically say, greet Aristobulus or greet Narcissus. He says, greet those who are of them, who are of their house. And probably the best way of understanding that is that they were either children or even more likely they were servants in their house. And so you had servants, you had slaves who were part of this church in Rome. If you look down, this isn't, a part of the scripture that we read, but a little ways down in verse number 23, Paul mentions a man by the name of Cordus, who is with him and sends greetings to the church in Rome. Uh, Cordus sounds like court, right? Which also sounds like quarter. It is related to the number four. In other words, this man's name in Latin was literally number four. He was most likely a slave who was now a Christian and fellow worker in the gospel. And so when you think about the great diversity of people that are listed here, it's a testament to what the gospel does and the way that Christ has planned for the gospel to take hold in society, and for the gospel to be a unity of people from every background, every possible background. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, we are all one in Christ, aren't we? We're one in Christ. As the statement goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, isn't it? doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from, or what race or ethnicity, how much money you've had, whether you've been uh, in nobility or in poverty, doesn't matter who you are, we're all recipients of the grace of God, which none of us deserve. One in Christ. A diverse group of people laboring together for the sake of Jesus Christ and his mission. Something else I think that comes out to us in this passage, and I think becomes very clear is that the church is characterized in this passage as both a family and a fellowship. 
the church is characterized as a family and a fellowship. Several times in this passage, Paul uses family-type language to refer to these Christians. He says they're brothers, they're sisters in the Lord. At one place, he refers to the mother of Rufus as his own mother as well, meaning that she has been a spiritual mother to Paul. And so we see the, the fact that the church is a family. It's the family of God, and we relate to one another as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters. It is the family of God. But it's also a fellowship. And fellowship in the New Testament is the idea of bringing people together, not just for friendship, not just to spend time and talk with one another. That's a part of it. Of growing as a body of Christ is, is becoming friends and knowing each other and loving one another. But the idea of fellowship is also beyond that to the idea of working together in partnership. One way of understanding the, the Greek term koinonia from which we get the word fellowship is the idea of a partnership, almost like a business partnership in which we are united together for a common goal, a common mission. We're working together for the gospel. And so the church is a family. It is a fellowship for the sake of the gospel. And lastly, I just want to draw out from this passage some of the things that Paul highlights in terms of the qualities of these people. And I just want to draw our attention to two. These qualities seem to show up time and again in this list of names. One is the concept of faithfulness. That over and over in this list, he refers to these people as faithful. Faithfulness is something that is severely lacking in our culture, isn't it? Our, our culture seems to be forgetting what the idea of commitment and dedication mean. The concept of sticking with someone or something for the long haul through thick and thin, through trials and tribulations, through difficulties. It's interesting that I almost think that the traditional vows that most people say in a wedding have almost lost all meaning today. Almost as if they're just saying these words and they don't really understand what they're saying. Of when they say, when they vow to be with someone in sickness and in health, richer or poorer, you know, in, in, in good times and bad. It's almost as if we've, we've forgotten what those words mean and they're just making empty promises because it seems like when something gets difficult, we just let it go. When, when something doesn't work out the way that we would like, when, when we feel like we're not as happy as we should be, we let it go. And instead of loyalty and faithfulness of keeping our word, instead our society has lifted up as like the, the God of this age is personal happiness. Personal happiness. I don't know how many times I've heard the reason why people make decisions that they make is I just thought it would make me happy. I'm, I'm doing this for my own happiness. 
And as, especially as Christians, we need to consider the fact that God's ultimate goal for us is holiness. Happiness is a byproduct of that. True happiness, true joy comes through knowing Christ and growing in Christ and growing in the fruit of the spirit of joy. If you, it's, it's an ironic thing, isn't it? That if you pursue happiness as a goal in and of itself, oftentimes you do not get it. It's elusive. It's like trying to grab onto the wind. But if you pursue in Christ holiness and love, righteousness, the glory of God, the, the well-being of others, it's amazing that happiness seems to find you and joy seems to find you. But when we pursue it as an end in itself, we often miss it. And so faithfulness. Paul mentions these faithful people that were there in difficult times and bad. People that endured prison with Paul. People that sacrificed for the sake of the church. So faithfulness. The other attribute that seems to arise many times in this list of names is hard work. Hard work. Many times in this list, he says, this person worked very hard for you in the Lord. And I think we're also a culture who is losing the, the idea, the meaning of what hard work is. Or, I mean, and this is just, it's a byproduct of the age. It's a byproduct of our technological age. But everything in our culture is becoming easier. Everything in our culture is becoming easier, it's becoming faster, it is increasing our ability to have more leisure time, and yet we think of ourselves as more busy than at any other time in the history of the world. You talk to people, and you ask people, how was your week? And I, I do this all the time, I'm guilty of this. You ask somebody, how was your week? Oh man, it was busy. Oh, this week was crazy busy. And you think about the fact that in not really not too long ago that people had to spend the vast majority of their day getting food and fixing food. That was the vast majority of their day. They were either out getting it, looking for it, either from the field or, you know, chopping it down or in the field shooting it and catching it and bringing it home. They were, they were looking for food or they were preparing it, getting it ready to eat. A huge amount of our day as, a, as human people was, was focused on that. Just survival. Getting food and preparing food. And yet, now today, you can walk over to your cabinet, pull out a bag of Pop-Tarts, right? And put it in the microwave for three seconds. Right? Look at the look at the directions on the box. Microwave pop tarts for three seconds. Are we really in that big of a hurry that we need pop tarts in three seconds? Everything is fast. Everything is fast. Everything's available to us. Everything's easier. And yet somehow we still think of ourselves as more busy than at any other time in the history of the world. But I think we're losing this sense of hard work. As things become easier, as things become faster, 
as things become uh, just able to do with less effort, we're losing the sense of hard work. I'm not asking for any raise of hands. Just think about this. How many of you used to enjoy doing outdoor things or things that involved working with your hands, things that involved going outside, sweating, hard work, but now you're, you find your time is more spent um, sitting in front of a computer or a phone or a television. And when you think about doing those things, when you think about maybe going camping or going hiking or going out and gardening, it's like, it seems like what? Hard work, doesn't it? It's like too big of a bother. I mean, that seems like hard work. I think we're losing the sense of hard work. We're, we're losing the ability to even know what hard work is. But Paul commends the church for their hard work. He commends these Christians for working hard in the Lord. What, is it, what does it mean to work hard for the sake of the church? It can mean a lot of things, right? It can mean um, physical labor, building a, building a, a meeting house, uh, a sanctuary for the church to meet. It could mean uh, taking food to people who are in need. It could mean uh, you know, physical things, but it could also mean going and walking from place to place and declaring the gospel and working hard at ministering and sharing the gospel. But he commends hard work. And my, my encouragement to us from this passage is that we would be the kind of church that Jesus Christ envisions for his church to be. And what is that? It is a church who, uh, who is composed of people from every possible background, saved by the grace of God, drawn together as a common family, a common fellowship, united around one common mission, and faithfully working hard in that mission for the glory of Christ. That's what Christ desires for us to be. And, and I pray that we would seek to be that in our congregation. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for the lives of people that have impacted us. Every one of us can think of the people who were uh, used by you in either bringing the gospel to us or in helping us to grow and mature in the faith. We can all think of key people that you have used in our lives in the past to deliver your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, thank you for those people. Thank you for the way that you work through people as your instruments. God, use us in that way for the lives of others. Father, we thank you that you have done an amazing work of showing grace to all kinds of people who don't deserve it. Thankful that you don't just call the rich. You don't just call the, the wise, the intelligent, the nobility. But Lord, you call all people of all different kinds, of all different backgrounds, and you show grace to them and draw them into your family of God. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to work hard. Help us to do all of this, Lord, for your honor, for your glory. And Lord, may you be pleased to use us to build your house. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.